Wolfing Down Food Science. Hi everyone, I'm your host Audrey Williams and this is episode 3 of Food for Thought. In this episode, we're going to dive into the microbiology aspects of alternative protein. This episode might be my very favorite episode so far and maybe all the whole podcast, so I'm so excited to dive into it and I hope you guys are ready to learn more. As we talked about in our previous episodes, alternative protein products are growing in popularity and causing a huge industry growth. Microbiology is playing a really big role in the growing popularity of the alternative protein industry because there's a lot of companies working on the use of fermentation to make products that you've never seen before. The reason so many companies are investing time and research into fermentation is because it's fast, self-efficient, and uses less natural resources than traditional animal-based products do. One of the really cool microbiology topics being studied by alternative protein producers is precision fermentation. So what in the world is precision fermentation? It produces functional ingredients traditionally found in animal products by using microbial hosts as cell factories. Precision fermentation works by writing DNA sequences that can be inserted into microorganisms that can instruct them to produce substances that are currently being produced by animals. So you might be wondering how companies are using precision fermentation to make their products. Let's go over a few examples so you can understand how this process is being utilized. The company Perfect Day is using precision fermentation to create dairy proteins. Impossible Foods is using precision fermentation to make heme proteins. And lastly, Clara Foods is using precision fermentation to make egg proteins. Impossible Foods uses precision fermentation by utilizing genetically engineered yeast strain to produce leg hemoglobin, which as we discussed, produces their burger's flagship meaty taste and red coloring. The company Triton Algae Innovations is even using precision fermentation to make proteins that are made in human breast milk. As you can see, precision fermentation allows companies to produce proteins that are actually made by animals rather than trying to mimic them with the use of plant-based proteins, but they avoid having to use the time and resources required to actually raise animals. In addition, for people who are worried about animal welfare, it prevents animals from having to be raised as livestock. From my explanation of how precision fermentation works, I'm sure you've realized that they're actually using genetically engineered microbes. These genetically engineered microbes are examples of genetically modified organisms or GMOs. The consumption of GMOs is a very controversial topic, so this poses a hurdle for companies using precision fermentation to make their alternative protein products. Consumer concerns about the consumption of GMOs is not the only issue facing these companies. These companies also have to deal with the regulations by governments on GMOs. We will discuss the regulations of GMOs by governments in a later episode, but it is something to be thinking about while we're talking about the precision fermentation. Another microbiology topic being explored in terms of alternative protein is lab-grown meat products. Lab-grown meat is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. Muscle cells from animals will be grown in a petri dish to eventually create meat. The first step of this process is collecting these cells from animals. 
The cells can be taken via biopsies, cell banks, or pieces of fresh meat that have already been butchered. Animals do not have to be killed to collect cells via biopsies. Additionally, many cells can be collected from a piece of fresh meat, which reduces the number of animals that need to be killed in order to collect these samples. These methods of cell collection are very important to the use of lab-grown meat because it reduces animal harm, which many people are concerned about while consuming meat products. Next, the collected cells are placed in a growth medium that contains proteins, vitamins, sugars, and amino acids. The cells begin to proliferate or duplicate in this medium and keep growing until eventually the cells resemble a piece of meat. If you're like me, this process might sound a little weird and you might be a little bit hesitant to eat these products. However, there are more benefits than just the reduction in animal harm to eating lab-grown meat. Lab-grown meat also produces a smaller carbon footprint and uses less land than traditionally raising livestock animals. This means that for people who are choosing to eat plant-based diets based on environmental concerns and animal concerns, this could be a great option because it reduces both of those. One of the big questions regarding lab-grown meat is would vegans and vegetarians be able to eat it? I think the answer to this question really comes down to why someone is choosing to be a vegetarian or a vegan. If someone is choosing a plant-based diet solely based on environmental harm and animal harm, then they probably would be willing to eat lab-grown meat. If, however, they are choosing to eat a plant-based diet because they believe that traditional animal products are unhealthy, then this option may still be undesirable to them. The third and last topic we'll talk about in this episode is the use of biomass fermentation. Biomass fermentation refers to the growth of organisms like protists and bacteria in a lab setting. Organisms like protists and bacteria are inherently high in protein concentration, which makes them a good alternative source of protein if you don't want to use traditional animal-based products. Additionally, microorganisms can more efficiently and rapidly produce large quantities of protein than traditional livestock animals can. Companies like corn and meaty are using biomass fermentation in the production of their products. I hope this episode has shown you all what an important and innovative role microbiology is playing in the alternative protein industry. In the next episode, we are going to be discussing engineering and the actual physical production of alternative-based proteins. As usual, all the sources I've used to make this episode will be available from Professor Luck if you're interested in learning more. If you'd like to find out more about our podcast, Wolfing Down Food Science, please check us out at NCSU's Food Bioprocessing and Nutrition Science website, where you can find our show notes, reference links, and more. You can find out more about NC State, our department, and FS201, the amazing course that has brought us all together, on our website as well. Please don't forget to subscribe to Wolfing Down Food Science wherever you stream your podcasts like Spotify and iTunes. Thanks for tuning in to Wolfing Down Food Science. See you next time.